Hi, I'm Kieran, and this is Growth Lessons, the show where I interview founders who've grown their business or community, try to understand how they did it, and find actionable lessons we can take away. In this episode, my first ever podcast, I talk to Kevin Wagstaff, founder of Spectora, a SaaS startup which went from zero to 20k MRR in its first year, building software for home inspections. It's a fascinating story which touches on topics close to my heart, such as the power of choosing an underserved market and having laser customer focus. I apologise the sound quality isn't great. It was recorded from a Zoom call. I hope you enjoy the conversation. My name is Kevin Wagstaff, one of the two founders of Spectora. We make home inspection software for home inspectors. So it's a, it's a tool for them to do the physical inspection at a home when someone buys, um, whenever someone buys a home and hires a home inspector. And then it's also business tools um, to help them run their business. And so we've been around three years and four months as of the end of April. And like I mentioned, first year got to 20K MRR, um, year two went from 20 to 100, and then year three went from 100 to 200 plus um, to where we are today. So it's been a, Whoa. <laughs> it's been a fun couple years, um, to say the least, uh, um, you know, fun growth story. So, uh, I mean, that's amazing. So, I mean, home inspections, uh, I guess it's, it's kind of a niche, but it's like a huge area, but it's not the kind of um, area that most people would think of when they're, you know, on Twitter throwing around startup ideas. Like, how, how did you get into that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's, and it's we've, we've really come to embrace the non-sexy niche B2B um, because a lot of people don't think about it. A lot of people don't think there's money there. And a lot of people don't think there's a need there. And we, we came across it because I was, first I was a real estate agent in Denver for five years. And so the inception sort of was me seeing all these home inspection reports me and my clients would get back and they were like a hundred page PDFs and we would both just look at it and say like, we're not going to read this. I don't know what the hell this means. This is so not user friendly. Um, it's like an industry that was left in the past. And so that was, that kind of planted the seeds. And then we, then we did have a friend believe, um, we had a developer friend of ours and I say ours, my brother and I, um, co-founded Spector and run it together. We had a friend whose dad was a home inspector and he said, guys, he goes, check out my dad's software. This is one of the leaders in the space. And we played around with it and we thought, oh my gosh, SaaS hasn't really come to this little niche. And we didn't, we, we heard people had tried it and failed in the past, but we really took our tech backgrounds and said, let's layer on that approach to a very uh, antiquated industry that doesn't like technological change. There's days we pulled our hair out, of course, but that's how we came across it. A friend brought it to us and we said, Hey, let's check this out. And then we really liked the idea of niche B2B because kind of the school of Paul Graham of just doing things that don't scale and finding industries where you can be a big fish in a small pond was really interesting to us because we know there's a lot of smart people in Silicon Valley trying to compete with the biggest companies in the world. Um, that's a moonshot. And we, you know, we, we felt like doing the pract- the oddly practical thing and saying like, Hey, let's just make some money first and then keep growing. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's a brilliant idea and it's one that's often overlooked uh, and definitely something that um, I've been working on. I mean, my, my day job is co-founder of a startup doing prison communications. So yeah, it's go. totally unsexy, <laughs> uh, but 
the there is not much competition there's loads of room for innovation uh and people are generally very grateful for for anything you can put out there yeah um, having said that um i think that it's also very challenging to launch in that kind of market where people are not used to innovation they're not used to trying new things uh how did you go about kind of going from building the software to actually getting out there and being used yeah it it's fun to go back down memory lane because i think every entrepreneur has that imposter syndrome right away and i cold outreached to every home inspector in denver that would answer my email and asked to buy them coffee and i asked to meet them at a starbucks right next to their house so they had to do very little work just to listen to me or just to even like spend 10 minutes with me um, and so I got a couple bites on that. So that was kind of the, the first year of building and iterating was just interviewing inspectors and asking them their pain points, just flat out. Hey, what do you not like about your software? And they were very willing to tell me that. Um, and so built, 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 got to kind of MVP stage after a year, which it was about six months too late. I think everyone kind of knows that they should launch early, but it's easier said than done when you're the one building it and you're the one staring at it every day. We still launched late. And so, um, but once we launched, we, we felt the insecurity and we, we, you know, with the crickets of no one paying attention. And so I went into forums where home inspectors hung out and just started posting, answering questions. Um, my area background is kind of like marketing, sales, SEO. And so, Anyone that had a question about that, I jumped in first and answered on the forum. And in my email signature, it just kind of had Spectora, home inspection software, and we'd start getting a couple bites, a couple people asking about it. And then from we treated every single person that showed interest like they were our number one VIP client and answered emails often within minutes. Um, my, my brother and I said, you know what? we're doing this full time and there's no excuse to not give back to someone within minutes and answer their question and blow them away and say like, we're committed to this. We're committed to it long term. And we truly tried to win over because we knew one of those first 10, 50 customers was going to be vocal and was going to tell other people about it. And, and so that, that kind of started a, a little mini snowball throughout year one, but initially it was a lot of just, posting and, and getting kind of feeling like the new kid on the playground where you post something and everyone that's resistant to change is like, Oh, no one's going to use cloud-based software. No one wants a web-based blah, blah, blah. Like no one's going to pay a subscription fee. You know how many times I heard that and it like broke my spirits at times where it's just like, Oh shit, maybe they're right. Maybe they just want to download software and buy it once. But I'm like, no, SAS is a thing. Like SAS is going to go everywhere. SAS is it's dominating the world. And so, we stuck to it and uh you know and that's just a, a micro you know a, a big picture view of kind of how that first couple months went of just kind of being the new kid on the playground looking for someone to play with so did you feel um from those initial conversations that there was a kind of demand like the the initial reaction of people was that, that they were interested to find out more and that they kind of knew this was coming or were they still like really resistant to change you know we found that there was like uh, you know, whether it's a 10 or 15% slice of home inspectors that skewed maybe a little younger that were interested in innovation. And they knew deep down that the software they had been using wasn't keeping up to date, wasn't making changes, wasn't iterating, wasn't adding features. So there was a handful that said, God, I've been waiting for this for 10 years. Like, let's talk, like, here's some ideas. Here's what I hate about my current software. 
And we would literally go and build it like the next day and say, all right, go refresh your browser now, or Hey, go, go, you know, update the app. And they would be blown away by that. And so when you go into the, like you said, you go into these industries where they're not expecting quick innovation and you can churn out some features and some things that save them time or help them make more money. You're their new best friend and they're going to go tell 10, 20, 30 other people about it. Uh, and so that's how it played out was, Hey, if you were interested in us, we quadrupled down on asking you questions on being very um, inquisitive into how we could help you. Cause if we could help one, then we could help a thousand. And so that was the mindset we took. So one of the most difficult things at that stage is, is pricing. Like how did you decide how much to charge, when to charge um, and things like that? Cause that's such a difficult decision when you really have no reference points. Obviously you could look at the other software that was out there, but if they were not used to paying a subscription, then you know, what do you do? Exactly. It made it really hard because when your competitors say, Hey, buy this for $800 or $1,000 and you download it and own it for life. That makes SaaS very tough to, to, to put a price on. And so we did research in other industries, you know, we looked at other, other, um, other software in like the contractor space and just said, okay, what are the, you know, it ranges anywhere from five or 10 bucks a month up to the hundreds. And so we, we went with our gut and then when I say, well, our gut we pulled it out of our ass basically and said, what, <laughs> what, would a home inspector be willing to pay um, per month? And I think like every entrepreneur in hindsight says we shot too low initially. Um, so we started at $79 a month because we said, okay, it's not a hundred. It's not, you know, but it it's paid for in one inspection because the average inspection is about $350 that they make. Um, and so we started low, then raised prices a year and a half in, but um we initially threw out $69 and then we looked at each other and said, why not add 10 more dollars? Like why the hell not? It's so scary. Everyone knows when you're making that decision, it, it's terrifying because you're like, what if that's the scale that tips people into that piece of the brain that says, Oh, that's too expensive. That's not worth it. Um, so I encourage everybody add $10 a month to your prices, no matter what. And you'll, it's, it's the aspirational pricing. I think I read that from, you know, lots of mentors and, and entrepreneurs of, be the most expensive in your market and then prove it out, prove the value out, reach that price. I think it's Rob Walling from startups from the rest of us. Um, you know, it talks about aspirational pricing. Yeah. And I, I mean, just you saying, you know, $79 and, and how that's like uh, undershooting. I mean, I think that demonstrates the value of going B to B rather than B to C. Cause you say <laughs> B to yeah. C, I was charging $9 and I, you know, it was too expensive for them. But if you can charge $79 a month, and, and people are happy to pay it, then that's a great sign for, for the market you've chosen. So, so in that year one, you made it to 20K MRR. Um, mm -hmm. Were there any, I mean, so it sounds like word of mouth referrals were, were the kind of the main growth channel and posting a lot on these forums and just helping people out, at giving them value. Um, were there any kind of single things that you did that made it kind of, step change in your growth trajectory great question uh that's the perfect question to ask because there there was a couple moments where um you know you're, you're emailing you're running and gunning trying to book demos and then um you know there's always the person that says oh, i can only do a demo at 6 a.m on sunday because I, I work all week and my kids and family and uh to me it was a no-brainer 
and I don't, you know, we all have a, we all have things going on in our lives as entrepreneurs, you know, your own family life and trying to keep your own balance. But, um, you know, I thought about not doing it and saying, Oh, can we, can we do eight o'clock? You know, you know, cause we're in different time zones and I'd have to be getting up at five something. But then he said, Oh no, it's the only time I can do it. I said, all right, screw it. I'm like, let's do it. And so, um, that particular user ended up being someone that went to another sub Facebook group and basically had a megaphone and to 200 other experienced users and said, Oh my God, Spectora did a demo with me at 6am his time or 5am his time. Um, blew me away like that kind of customer service you you know you can't money can't buy or whatever and so he he really shouted from the rooftops and got hundreds of other experienced users which are is real sticky you know revenue to come look at us and so that was kind of like one of those moments where I easily could have said like oh let's do it later never got you know we could have never gotten a hold of each other uh, because this is a product that people use for 10 years for 20 years it's they don't like changing this type of software because of all the, uh, the nuances, which we can get into. But, um, so that was one moment where it was just like, wow, a key influencer that just seemed like another demo ended up being someone that had a megaphone because I got up at five thirty AM and just brought it on a demo, you know? And I was like, let's go, you know? And so that was one. And then two was, um, we created a user group. And so we created a Facebook user group, kind of an invite only. Um, and we would kind of, initially it was an open group so anyone that was interested in spectora cool pop into the user group and we can talk about features we can talk about success stories we can and and uh, at times it it was painful because that's they'd start reporting bugs there and then that's not a good look um you know they're like yeah this shit's not working and everyone everyone gets scared but it did get to a point where a couple people started to speak positively in there and say hey i'm actually saving time every day from using spectora and then more people would observe and read that. And so now our user group has like 2000 users in it. But um, initially it was only like 50, you know, 70 people that were all kind of peeking and saying like, oh, what's, what's Spectora got going on? And me and my brother were in there answering every single thread every single day. So anytime anyone had a concern or a problem, we wanted to be the first person to respond to show people like, hey, we're right here. Like this isn't just something we're doing for fun. Like we're here and listening. And that user group has been just an amazing recruiting tool for us. Mm. Yeah. So every time I've tried it to start a, a Facebook group um, for any, anything like that, it always just kind of dies with people not being active enough. So I guess you have to be on there all the time and starting the conversation as well and making sure people feel comfortable asking questions and things there. Yeah, it, it's got to be super collaborative. And I don't know if home inspectors are unique beasts and that their profession is a little isolating because they're in homes all day by themselves or they're driving, you know, around town. And so they've really, really embraced that social interaction um, on Facebook. I don't know if other industries have dynamics like that, but, um, you know, there's ways to maybe incentivize people just thinking out loud of, you know, early adopters that really are into it, kind of spurring the conversations and kind of, asking those critical questions mm -hmm. uh, are there any other things you think you did really right in that first year because even despite everything you said it's still like 20k mrr is like double the dream of, of most kind of bootstrap startups um you know i'd say that i'd say the commitment to listening to people it it the vo it gets harder and harder. Anyone that's grown to, you know, more than 10, 20, 30 users, you realize you start getting 
that amount of voices of how to do things. And so um, my co-founder and I, whether he's my brother or not, I think we, we met, we met daily on Slack to, to put our goals and accomplishments because I think it's very underrated that co-founder um, kind of cohesiveness of like staying together and like not questioning each other's effort. Um, you know, cause everyone that has a co-founder kind of knows that dynamic is fragile. And so we, we always asked each other every week, what's the best use of your time? What's the best use of my time? What do you think I should be doing? And kind of mm-hmm. had that open dialogue, like nonstop. And it kind of kept us going in the right direction to say, okay, what's working. All right, let's double down on that. But, um, but yeah, we kept showing up every day and that's, and that's hard to do, especially anyone that has a side gig. I think for the part of that first year, um, my brother and I were winding down freelance kind of side gigs, hustles. And, uh, boy, like everyone has that decision point of like, okay, dive into this project for the baby at the startup or make a little bit of money to keep going. And so, um, I think just fully being present, jumping on screen shares and zooms, any chance you get, I think the FaceTime builds trust. I think it's easy Mm -hmm. for us to hide behind emails and articles and, but it's like, no, anytime you can get someone to click on a zoom link, kind of like we're doing, um, they get a feel for you and start to trust you. And so I think, not, not ever running from that. Cause I, sometimes it's hard, especially in your early days when all the answers are like, Oh, we don't do that yet. We're going to build that in the future. <laughs> cause I think in the early days when the answers no all the time, I wore that emotionally cause I was the guy doing all the demos. And I think distilling that information is kind of an art. And I think like it, it takes dialogue with a co-founder. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm learning a lot from this that I can apply to, to, you know, my, my day job. Um, and then, so the journey from the first year to the end of the second year where you like times five to your, your revenue, um, were there any things you did differently then, or was it a case of apply more of the same and the, the kind of com- compound effect of the growth just happened? No, we, um, we switched from email support to intercom. One of the best decisions we made probably made it too late. Uh, or would wish we would have done it earlier because they they have a good or they had a good startup program where it was it was like stupid cheap for like six months or something it was like forty or fifty bucks a month and the ability to respond right away to people and to assure people right away that um, that you're committed to making this better and that you're listening to them and you want to work with them I think went a long way with with people writing in because apparently the standards are really low in a lot of industries for response times on support. And so I, I kind of come from the Tony Shea Zappos, you know, school of thought of like customer service is, is kind of a, a lost art. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, cause like you write into zoom and you, you'll, you'll be like number 300 in the queue and you're like, I'm not going to get an answer like forever. Um, but we, me and my brother said, Hey, let's do something ridiculous and respond within one minute. Let's try to make our response times within one minute and see what happens and it like you know too much of our i think our our spouses grand like it it hurts sometimes to to wake up or to stay up late or to get up early and respond right away but we said we're going to pride ourselves on being the most responsive customer service because this is a business where they're in the field sometimes and something breaks down they need an answer right away and there's nothing nothing worse than breaking someone's trust by allow it or you know making them have to use their other software or just be stuck at a house with not with a not functioning app so 
that was one big thing, the commitment to customer service, I think early on, and then the, the commitment to um, just agile programming and saying, we're going to, we're going to throw spaghetti at the wall. We're going to put things out that might break. Um, and we took our hits that year, but people saw that we were evolving and growing and getting more stable, but we, we definitely had the agile mentality and didn't overthink things and definitely put up with a lot of dumpster fires, of like putting features out too fast, but like you can recover from that if you communicate with people, you know, and that's what I've learned through this is, is, uh, it's okay if shit doesn't work. It's okay if shit breaks, like, but constant communication with the person that's testing that feature or your small beta set, um, you know, that goes a long way. And so I think it's it, the word of mouth definitely snowballed mid year kind of coming into the spring that we were the real deal. Um, and then started hiring. So that was kind of obviously a big, big um, a big step in letting go. And that could be a whole nother podcast episode, I think on, on letting go as a founder and hiring, but, um, man, me and my, me and my brother call it entrepreneurial endurance where it's just like, it's easy to, to build a cool feature and tweet it out and have a million people look at it and it blows up and it's viral. It's really hard to wake up every day at 8am and just go to work. You know what I mean? Like we all, we all have jobs. We've all had jobs, but when, when you're, it, it doesn't feel like work to me, but like it, it wears on everybody when customers are just saying, Oh, you don't have this feature. You don't have that feature. That's too expensive. I'm, yeah. I'm, I wear that stuff emotionally. And so I think showing up was kind of the theme of that year. Yeah, I, I, that, I totally understand that. I mean, I, I still, we're five years in with our prison communications startup and I still do 70% of the customer service, which means responding to maybe a hundred emails and texts a day, if not more. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it is draining and they're not always positive, but... <laughs> Um, we just keep, keep doing it, keep showing up every day and you know, we're, things are growing. Some people are really happy. So, uh, it's, it's, it's worth it, but yeah, it's, it's easy to, to say, oh man, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to throw it all in, but you, you just got to keep going. If you want to build something meaningful, there's, there's very few stories like, you know, Reddit, which kind of, they sold it within a year or something or six months of launching. There's very few stories like that. Yeah. And I think we need more stories like yours and I out there because that's more of the reality. You know, I think on Twitter, we can glamorize the guys that it seems like they just, you know, rolled out of bed a couple of days and then sold for, for 20 million. It's like that, that just doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so it's more of the, uh, the less glamorous side, but there's still good rewards and there's still, you know, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's just, I, I like painting a more realistic picture for people, you know, cause I think the letdown mm. can happen when, um, when people just think it's, Hey, it's Zuckerberg or bust. Yeah. So what, what are your plans for the future? Cause it sounds like you're doing really well and you've, you've hired some people. So hopefully you're not taking all the strain yourself. Uh, and are you still kind of market leader or thereabouts? Yeah, we consider ourselves the market leader. Now we have a team of 12, um, in debt that work out of our office in Denver or work at home now in Denver. Um, and so we, we're kind of in complete domination mode of trying to stay hungry. And like, that's, that kind of comes from the pedigree, I think of, of my brother and myself of not being satisfied. We didn't do this to be a lifestyle business. Like we, we, 
came to really dominate and, and really win market share. So, um, you know, some people estimate there's only 20 to 30,000 home inspectors in the U S and Canada. And like, I want 50% of that. I'm like, why the heck not? You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. why not be audacious and say, what would it look like if, um, if we can win 50% market share. And so I think that comes now it's a lot of education, scaling processes, like our sales team kind of like setting up their, their sales flow and processes and, and things like that and getting our marketing and support teams dialed in. Um, and then continuing to innovate, you know, and think of new features. There's a lot of cool um, kind of spatial recognition apps and, you know, a lot of opportunities kind of come find us that were, that are interesting to us of ways inspectors can say, just point their phone at a furnace and automatically know the model and serial number and capacity and, and things like that. So there's some cool apps out there, um, some cool technology that's happening in the, in kind of the, I guess you could call it like home services tech space. But yeah, looking to grow and, uh, you know, and just continuing to listen to people. I think staying humble and staying focused and saying, what else can we build um, for anyone in this space or the real estate space? And that, that gets really interesting when you broaden it out to the whole real estate uh, space. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it, it's still a fantastic market. And the fact that you've been able to, you know, rise to a position of dominance so quickly just shows how underserved it was. And Right. All the all these all these startups out there that are solving problems for themselves, um, you know, in really really crowded markets where they struggle to get even one percent of that. Oh. Uh, I think they need, need to to learn a lot from lessons of, of businesses like yours and and like mine as well. Yeah, because I don't think either of us can say we're passionate about prison communications or home inspections, and I think that's okay. I think people are re- like you don't have to be passionate to start with the kind of the business or industry you're in. I think you become passionate about the process and the process of becoming a better business owner, a better salesperson, a better marketer, a better support person. You fall in love with the process of succeeding and that's kind of cliche, but um, it's kind of the truth, you know, cause when, when things start making money and paying your mortgage, then you're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, I think, I think I love this. <laughs> yeah. You can definitely get passionate about that. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, I realize I've overrun on time, um, but yeah, I really, really appreciate it. And thank you also for allowing me to record the conversation. Um, I've definitely got loads of good stuff to, to write up. Um, do you, do you need me to run it past you before you, before I send it out or are you happy for me to just put it out there? No, do your thing, man. I'm excited and I'm excited for you just kind of building this building this thing up because I've seen these, I've seen these types of communities build quickly. So I'm excited, uh, excited to be a part of it, man. Let me know how else I can help. Cool. Well, you are, you are going to be the first, um, podcast and, and vlog, uh, participant. So yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Right uh, on. And it was super interesting. So I'll let you know when it's all, when it all goes out there. All right. I'm sure we'll be dying. I'm sure we'll get, we'll keep up in, on Twitter with each other and, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, cool. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Take Take care. care. All right. Bye-bye.